So in this episode, we are going to talk about automation and how automation will bring you more freedom in life. We're also talking about how you can keep your authentic, real message, but also automate part of your email sequences, how you can automate to get more sales and keep that people feel engaged and feel it's coming from your voice. This is Radio Awesome. Fun, inspiring, no-nonsense tips to sell, market, and build a business with only a laptop. Enjoying life along the way. Peter, Eric, and Maria share the lessons they learned while creating a successful online business, helping people all over the world. Now, enjoying the freedom lifestyle from a beach in Vietnam. So welcome to this episode, and today I have a legend when it comes to automation and one guy who have been in the automation for online businesses and uh, and um, marketing automation for many many years and uh, and when we decided to move from um, what we had before and over to keep or infusionsoft everyone recommended greg greg like the guy we should learn from so i also bought some courses from greg and i in a membership group that he has and he's a awesome guy like down to earth really cool to chat with and listen to his uh listen to his live show and uh, he has a lot of knowledge so uh, thank you for uh, doing this and uh, showing and, and doing this uh, podcast and live stream with me greg yeah um no thanks better eric it's it's nice to be here i actually well i'll call you out i was just looking at your contact record in my keep account and i saw that as recently as last month you were still going through some of the course content so or maybe someone on your team but it's good to see that people are still uh building those keep muscles hmm. so Tell me about, can you start, tell me about a little bit about how did you come into this world of digital marketing and how did the journey start for you? Yeah. Um, so I, I graduated from university in the mid 2000s, 2007. And I started a business with a friend of mine right, right afterward. So I was, you know, 21 years old bright-eyed, no idea what we were doing. And um, we built a business in the beer industry, installing and servicing draft beer dispense systems for bars and restaurants and, you know, nightclubs and, and all of that. Uh, and we ran that for about five years and the business grew. And at the time, I thought that the, that the fact that we were growing meant that we were doing everything right. Um, but what happened was I, I wound up pretty burnt out. I like, I just, it took this thing that I loved and I kind of grew to resent it. And I couldn't really figure out why, because I didn't, I didn't have any, I didn't have an introduction to the marketing automation world or the, the business automation world. So I didn't know to ask for the thing that we were missing that business was entirely manual. You know, my, my CRM was like a notebook that I kept in the center of my van and would like write in. And then when people called me, I would like circle them. It was, it was a hundred percent manual. And I think that that's ultimately what led to me feeling just like it wasn't serving me anymore. It was, it, it like, it drained me. And so at that time, I started dating my partner, Sarah, and we were in different states, um, you know, 1500 miles apart. And so I decided I was ready for a change. And so my business partner bought me out and I moved to Arizona to follow her. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And when I got to Arizona, a friend of mine suggested, he said, you know, Greg, you you know, might want to check out this company, Infusionsoft, which is what it was called at the time. And I told him, I said, you know, screw, screw you, like, you don't know me at all. Why would I go work at a nerdy tech company when I'm a beer guy? Um, but three months, uh, three months later, I was still unemployed. And so I, I went back to, to, to him and I said, what was the name of that company again? And so I looked them up. And I spent some time on the Infusionsoft website watching videos and sort of trying to figure out like what this software and this 
this company is all about. And I had my first light bulb moment. You know, I had the, the uh, turn this, it went, it just like lit up. And I, and I knew, I knew like, this is what I was missing. I could see the ex- explanation of the way that automation could have solved so many of the frustrations that I was running into when I was running my first business. And so I, I, I was, I was infatuated from the beginning and it be, sort of became my personal mission to help as many small businesses and entrepreneurs as possible avoid the frustration and the, you know, the friction that I had and set up systems and processes and automation to help their business grow without requiring the manual input that ultimately caused me to burn out. And so I spent three years at Keep. Uh, It was called Infusionsoft, but the company has renamed to Keep. I spent three years there coaching new businesses as they got signed up, helping them, you know, adopt the software, helping understand their business and translate it into, you know, what systems are going to support the, you know, the growth avenues that they have. And it's funny how being in an environment like that, helping small business after small business, it, it kind of reignited the entrepreneurial mindset for me. And I thought, I need to get in the game again. Like I need to try a second time and try a second business. And so uh, that was where, you know, in 2015, that's when I, I left Keep to start MonkeyPod, my current business, still serving the same ecosystem, but working for myself and creating my own products and, and growing my own, you know, customer base um, and putting the the lessons that I had learned as a Keep employee and as a, you know, as an onboarding coach, putting those into action for myself, right? Taking my own medicine, so to speak. Cool. And, um, and, um, and you say it like, so I look at you like a fun, outgoing, uh, extrovert, like really cool to listen to and all those things. And you are uh, like a tech nerd. So, you know, uh, many of my clients or many of them were listening to this, um, podcast or this live stream. Now they are thinking like, I hate this tech. I hate this automation. So, so can you, so you tell me about what are, if you are a coach or a consultant or want to sell an online course, what is one of the things that can solve solve some problems with uh, in the entrepreneur path to do more automation? Well, so there's a few ways to answer that question, um, but I think we, I think that it's smart for any entrepreneur to sort of examine their own resistance, right? If you feel resistant to technology or, you know, automation, like let's, let's open that up a little bit and ask yourself why. And the interesting thing for me is that like, you know, in in 2010, when I was running the draft beer system, if you had come to me and said, like, Greg, there's this tool, it's called Infusionsoft, and it'll help you keep your contacts organized, it'll help you follow up with them, it'll help you close more sales and then deliver, you know, a, an experience that makes you proud of your business. I, I wouldn't have been receptive to that. Because I didn't, I didn't think it could be done in a way that, you know, if you're, a, if you're a small business owner, if you're an entrepreneur, you're probably really proud of the experience that you create for your customers. You're proud of the work that you do and you should be. And so the idea of using automation to replace any portion of the stuff that you are doing can feel uncomfortable because it feels like you're compromising. And it, it might feel like you're letting go of some of the control you have over the way you serve your customers. And the reason I say that so confidently is because that's how I think I would have felt. I was proud of the work that I did. And I didn't believe that you could use automation to create the same outcomes because if you could, what would that say about me, right? What would that say about the work that I was doing if a system could do it the exact same way? 
And so the mindset shift that I had and that I would, you know, give your audience or, or recommend that they consider is that automation doesn't have to be a compromise. It should be an extension of you. It's because it's not an arbitrary set of like code and cogs and, you know, gears, right? It is a very specific intentional process that a human set up that is happening automatically. So when I think about like the way automation serves my current business, MonkeyPod, nothing is happening. Well, things do happen that I don't know about, but nothing is happening that I didn't sign off on, that I didn't design, that I didn't intend. And I feel like that should give small business owners and entrepreneurs a lot of comfort and confidence knowing that your, your customers are going to experience the thing you wanted them to, to experience because you designed it. You set up the, the campaign or the automation or the processes. You wrote the copy or you, you know, recorded the video that they're watching and then the, the thing that happens next, right? You designed this intricate process and then all automation does is make sure that it happens consistently for everyone so that if you are creating you know, the perfect customer experience, then you get to shift your focus to just putting more people into it, letting automation do the bulk of the heavy lifting. So I think that's where I would start for them is to challenge like, what am I worried about? And oftentimes it is relinquishing control or they're worried that they might you know, lose some of the personal touch that, that you're proud of. And I don't, I think those are myths. I understand those concerns because I have felt that myself, but I've worked with enough small business owners that I, I believe automation doesn't have to be a compromise. You know, you, you've been a, a customer for my business and many of the things you've described, the, the kind words you've had about me being laid back or easygoing or, you know, uncharacteristically handsome, whatever you said was, you know, a product of your experience with my automation, right? You and I have interacted some in the community, but probably the majority of your impression of me is from the automation that has shown up in your inbox or the videos that have been released at different times for you to, to interact with. And I think that's, like I said, an extension of me. So I take a lot of pride in that. Yeah, and uh, and uh, and that's a good way to start it because one thing that I hear from Monday men is like, you know, I see, for example, from us, oh, I see all this email they're sending, and uh, yeah, I had one guy I talked with this weekend with a, it was in a sales call I had, and he said something like, you know, I've been following you for four or five years, and uh, I've been on and off your email list because sometimes it gets yeah. too many emails from you. And so, and then I get back and get a free webinar or something, and then I'm back again. Um, but what you are really, really good at, you you can say like you talk about tech nerd or whatever. I think your copy is so good. So how do you how do you think for yourself when you design a new automation to keep your your voice in the emails or in the or in the also in the videos? And how do you, how do you think about that? How do you make this so natural? Well, um, thanks, because uh, it, it is something that I work hard at. Um, and so it does take it does take some focus, but I think anyone can do it. For me, uh, I write all of my own emails. So everything that my system sends out has come out of has come out of me. And it took me a while when I was first getting started, because I found that when I would write an email, I would sort of switch gears and like my voice would change and I would be a lot more proper and a lot more formal. And if you know anything about me, I am not a very formal guy. I'm a very casual guy. And so, you know, it's like when people answer the phone and their voice like changes an octave and they're like, hello. And you're like, that's not how I usually sound. I, you like shift. So I found that I had an email voice. 
And so the way that I sort of worked to make sure that my emails felt natural and sounded like me is when I would write one, before I would finish, I would read it out loud to myself. And I would, you know, say it in this room by myself, just to hear how it sounded coming out of my mouth. And what I found was like, sometimes I would, you know, if I would, if I was talking, I would say the word can't, but if I was writing, I would say cannot. And so I was like losing contractions and it was small things that were like easy to miss if you're just reading it because they look interchangeable. But when we are talking, those are the things that you notice. And I use a lot of slang. And that was a choice I had to make was to, to say things like, I'm gonna, instead of going to, right? I'm gonna do that. Or are you gonna sign up? Like little uh, linguistic idiosyncrasies that I think make a difference, but it definitely took me a little bit of effort. And the key was spending time reading my emails to make sure that it was stuff I would would actually say. Um, and I, I will say this, there is gonna be somebody listening who says, but we have a lot of people who write our emails, right? And so it's not realistic for one person to be the central source of truth. And so my recommendation, if you have a team of people who are responsible for producing copy is to create like a set of like brand guidelines, like how you want your emails written, um, language that you like to use or language that you like to avoid or rules, like always do this, never do that, right? Is to create a set of those types of specifications so, so that your different team members have alignment over the types of things they're, they're writing. And you could even go so far as to use like a list of verbs or adjectives that your brand gravitates towards. And the more you can like standardize that, that language, the more your different emails written by different authors will start to, to feel aligned and it will build an overall like comprehensive um, feeling or personality for your broader marketing um, impression and, and that you're creating for your customers. So uh, I actually have some resources on that. I'll be happy to, to you know, relay to, to you if you'd like to put them in the show notes or share with anyone, because this is something people, I, I'm not a, a trained copywriter. This isn't something that I um, have spent time going to school for. It is something that I enjoy. And I've read a couple books on it and like spent some time refining my own work. But enough people have come to me saying, like, how do you do it? That I believe my copy must resonate with people to that extent. So, and I have no secrets. I'm happy to share whatever it is that works for me. So if that's valuable for people, I'll happily share some resources there as well. Yeah, cool. That's great. Um, and um, and can you tell me about or a little bit how long are your uh, are your automation with emails? Like, uh, how is it weeks or is it months or how do you? How long are they? How much are on automation in your company? Um, it is it is long. Uh, as a as someone who spends a lot of time in the automation space, um, and building automation is like something that I do. I produce a lot of content, um, blog posts, YouTube videos, uh, webinars. You know, you name it, and then. What I'm intentional about is making sure that all of the content I produce also makes its way into follow-up somewhere, right? As long as it's not like super time sensitive. If I produce a video that is about, you know, March 22nd, 2022, that's not going to end up in a drip sequence because it's, it's time sensitive. But if I'm producing things about copywriting best practices, well, I'm going to do a webinar on it, and then I'm going to do a blog post with the lessons from that webinar, and then I'm going to do an email in my nurture sequence that references those assets for people who want to learn about them, right? And, and I'll probably clip out a few sound bites that wind up going to Instagram or Facebook, you know, to promote those as well, right? 
So I'm, I'm very intentional about syndicating my own content, making sure that it ends up in multiple channels. Um, so because I have been focused on that, I have you know probably years worth of nurture um, that people are constantly experiencing and I'm continually adding to it. So I hop in there and I'll add another email you know, with this month's content, but people won't get it for a year or two because they're, you know, because they're wherever they opted in, they're at different points in that experience. Um, but the natural next question is like, would I, would I recommend that for someone else? And the answer is not necessarily, right? That's the way I have built mine, but that might feel intimidating or exhausting for somebody else. And so I don't want you to think that like, that's necessarily what I would prescribe. Um, and so if you're, if you're listing this and you're thinking like, well, if I want to use automation, like where, how do I follow up with someone and when do I stop? And, and like, those are good questions to be asking. My answer would be design an individual experience, right? Map an individual journey between like two milestones. I want them to register for this webinar and then I want them to attend this webinar. And those are the actions that I call milestones. So then you get to figure out, well, how long is there between registering and attending and what is going to fill that, that gap? And if it's you know 24 hours between announcing the webinar and the webinar, then you probably don't need a whole lot in between there. But if you have a few weeks in between registering and attending, well, what is going to keep them engaged? What content makes sense to build excitement for that webinar? How will you ensure that they're showing up knowing what you want them to know and having done what you want them to do. And the milestones I'm using, you know, the webinar example, those are interchangeable. So it could be any two events in your business. And so when I think about my business, any of my courses, they are their own end-to-end -end experience. My membership is its own end-to-end -end experience, right? Any of my lead magnets are their own end-to-end -end experience. So if you sign up for anything from me, there is a finite amount of content planned for that experience. And then at some point, when you reach the end of that designed journey, if you haven't yet done the next thing, all the roads lead to a sort of a central nurture process, which uh, starts off with what I call the meet Greg sequence, which introduces me talks about the background of MonkeyPod, invites the recipient to say hi and tell me about themselves. It's sort of a get to know you sequence. And then it transitions into like a long-term nurture campaign. And that's the one that I continually add to. So I have a bunch of micro journeys and then they all sort of feed into this broader nurture campaign that is a more casual cadence, you know, every few weeks or once a month, the call to actions sort of vary, but I think of it like a steady, like a steady drum beat where it just, you know, is casually running in the background. D despite other interactions, it's always there. It's constantly keeping in touch, delivering resources that I've produced that hopefully are valuable for them, keeping some of that top of mind awareness and gradually building my uh, relationship with them or building trust with them so that the next time I have an offer or some sort of call to action, you know, I'm still, that conversation isn't starting from scratch. So, so do you have any numbers or data on, so if, if someone opted in on a lead magnet from you and you have this automation system will go over three years. How long time does it take normally from someone uh, opt-in in average before they buy something from you? Um, yeah, I do have some numbers on that. Let me check my dashboard for you. Um, so it does vary. And it, my numbers are actually a little bit outdated because uh, as you know, I sold a portion of my business last year and those courses that were paid are now available for free. So the, that data has sort of um, been compromised because nobody has paid for those courses in over a year. But it was about 60 days from opt-in 
to, oh no, 30 days from opt-in to purchase, and then another 30 days from opt-in to membership. And I found that I had about a 30% take rate for people who bought a course that converted to a member. So one out of every three course purchasers were also signing up for my OG membership. Um, and then in if you if you move upstream from that, there was a sort of a 10 to a seven to 10 day window in a free trial before the course. Uh, and the free trial to course conversion was about 60%. So just over half of people who took a free trial wound up buying a course. The course purchase was on average about 30 days into that, uh, into the, their experience in my system. And then another 30 days with the course content, um, one out of every three were becoming members. Now, the tricky part for me is that I don't stop the nurture when somebody buys something because it isn't the nurture isn't specific to one product. It's more of a broader, you know, engagement strategy to keep my list warm, to keep them educated, to maximize the visibility on the content I produce. So the way that I do that is before any email goes out that has a call to action in it, I have a segmentation branch that says, is this thing appropriate for that? So that way, nobody, nobody should be getting offers that they've already purchased. They just circumvent or, or, or bypass the email promoting the thing that they've already bought. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so that allows me to keep this nurture process going forever without the risk of them seeing something that is redundant because they're each touch point that has a call to action is also looking to see, is this relevant for this person? Hmm. Um, and, uh, and when they hear like you have a, a, you also say that you don't need a three years or two years automation process. Yeah. Um, but what, uh, what do you, what will you say to people just want to start with some automation? Where should they start? What is the first step that can bring them some, uh, some result or some, so they see this is working? Yeah. Um, so I would, the, the answer to this question and most questions in the world of automation is the customer journey. It is the single biggest lesson that I have learned as an entrepreneur is just the importance of that concept. Uh, if you are in business, your customers have a journey. And like that, that's, I believe that's just true, right? If somebody has bought from you, something happened before they bought and something happened after they bought. And the composition of those three things is their journey, right? It's the beginning, the purchase, and then everything after the purchase. And like that, I believe that's just true. So if you accept that, yes, my customers have a journey, the next question, and you can use whatever language you want, but you know, journey is the term I'm calling it. Um, then the next question is like, well, is it something that we designed or is it something that just sort of happened? And the reason I say that is because I've been in the position where like you, you make a sale and so you need to figure out how am I going to deliver, right? And so you kind of scramble together to get the, the website up or to get the access in place or to build a calendar so that they can schedule coaching with you, right? And then whatever you do just becomes your process. Like, well, we did it the first time. So now this is how we do this thing. And my recommendation is to challenge like, is it what we want, right? Just because it's what we are doing does not mean that it is the best thing for our customers or for our business. And so to look back over every element of your, your customer's journey, how did they discover us? Where did they first sign up? What happened after that? Where did we, you know, where, okay, what point did they decide to pull out their credit card? Where do we make the offer? You know, how do we process that transaction? And then what happened, right? What page did they see next? Where did they, did they get a follow-up email with their access? Were they connected with someone right away? Like just to comb through like what is actually happening and then to ask yourself what should be happening. And 
automation's job is to close the gap between those two. So to help take your current reality, whatever it is, and to make it your ideal reality. If you only had one customer, right? And you could spend all of your time on that. What would you create, right? If you could give them all of your attention, all of your focus, like what would that experience look for look like for them? And then how can we use automation to get as close as possible to that ideal customer experience so that each person who signs up, you know, is having their questions answered. You know that they're getting responses. You know that they're having their doubts addressed before they even articulate them. You know that before they buy, they've answered the right number of questions, that the product that's being recommended is the right one. You know that once they buy, there's a, you know, a, a experience that is going to create a testimonial that you can use to you know, collect the next batch of leads. Like All of that should be, well, all of that can be designed in a way that makes it predictable. And I think predictable is, it sounds so ordinary, but sometimes that's the goal is we just wanna know, we wanna trust that month after month, year after year, we built something that is going to perform in a way that we expect, in a way that we, in a way that gives us confidence to create, to build our life around it. So uh, that's a kind of a, a meandering answer um, that doesn't really give someone specific instructions for where to start. So here's what I will say. Um, make a list of everything you spend your time on, right? Just for a day or for a week. Try to track everything you do. And some of those things you probably enjoy doing and are a good use of your time. Coaching people one-on-one, -on -one, delivering a live webinar, right? There are probably things that you are great at that only you can do. But on that list, I would wager there are plenty of things that are not the best use of your time that you are still doing because you always have. And so that's the list that I would use automation to attack. Say, how can I spend less of my time doing the things that aren't the best use of my time, doing the things that drain you or make you feel burnt out, and more of my time doing the things that I'm world-class at. And the thing about automation is it doesn't mind. It doesn't complain. It just does the things we ask of it. The, the challenge there is being able to look at that list and know, well, what can automation do? And how do I you know, begin to, to take this scheduling process that is so annoying and frustrating for me and fully automate it so that customers just show up for their calls you know, with, with all their questions answered, right? And that's where you know it takes a little finesse. You know, maybe working with a coach is a good idea, or or you know, maybe there's programs that will break that down for you. But but that is the the challenge is to have that automation lens and to identify the opportunities where automation can lighten the lift for us or for our team, right? As proud as you might be of the team members you have built there are probably things they are doing that automation could do and then they could spend time with their native genius or, or making your life easier. Hmm. Does yeah, that help? Also, Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It really helps. And, um, I am, had a, I am, my mentor is Todd Brown. I don't, maybe you know him. And yeah. I had a chat with him for like, uh, I think it was, uh, four or five weeks ago. Yeah. And, uh, and we talk about this, uh, evergreen funnel or automation and all this thing. And, and he said something really good about it, but also I think um, you are totally agree on this. Like if you do a lot of manual thing, you never will get a, a you can get up and downs in your result. But if you get the automation or yeah. evergreen or something going on, you'll just see the data on it. So you know, it's really working. And that's also how you can get more freedom in a life like an entrepreneur to, to know what is going on, you know, like, I will get uh, the last six months, I get so many sales on doing automation or evergreen or something like that. And I know the six next month, it will come the same. But if you do things live, you can think about that. Or if you do things manually, you believe that you have a process, but it's still human involved in it. So it can change also. Um, yeah. yeah.
it, and I think if I can touch on something that you just reminded me of, um, one of the beauty, one of the one of the like really rewarding parts of automation is that you you it takes effort to automate something. You have to think through the process. You have to design the technology. You have to test it. You have to write the copy. And so that initial friction sometimes feels like more work than just doing it yourself. And so I get that. And if you're like listening along going, yeah, well, I feel like I have to map all this stuff out and I would rather, it's not that much work to just send the email, right? The reason that I think it is worth it is because automation pays compounding dividends. So once you automate something, you know, it may only take you five minutes to do it. But if you do it three times a week, that's 15 minutes a week. That's 30 minutes every two weeks. That's an hour every month that you are adding up, right? So like if you automate it today, you save your, like you put that time, it, it may take you an hour to automate it or three hours. But in the course of three months, you've made your time back. And in the course of a year, you've made th three hours of extra time. And, you know, if you, if you look for those opportunities, those minutes turn into hours and turn into days that you have bought back for yourself. And that's where you get the power of choosing where and how to reinvest that time. Because you can put it back into your business. You can develop another revenue stream or a new product to launch. Or you can start a different business. Or you can just spend more time with your family, right? Like you can, you get to choose what you do with that time. But there's something really inspiring about that, the liberty of that choice. And automation is what creates that, that space for you to breathe, right? My business is, is relatively modest, but the primary way that it serves us is in flexibility. My partner and I hike several times a week. Like I, I mentioned before we before we hit record, we're fostering a dog. We we you know we love to travel. Haven't done as much of that lately, but like we've created a lifestyle that that wouldn't be possible without the backbone of automation in my business. And I still do manual things, but it's a choice. It's things that I like to do manually, like recording custom videos for my members, right? Or participating in an affiliate launch for a friend who's running something, right? Like that's that's something I choose to build out on the fly and it adds an extra, you know, five to 12 grand of income for that month. But my core aspects of my business, month to month are, are it's almost flatlined, but it's a slight, it's a gradual growth because it is just, it's predictable. And like, like you mentioned, it's six next month and six the month after and six the month after that. Um, and there's something really comforting about knowing, you know, you can trust your business in that way. It gives you the flexibility to choose the other pieces you put in around it. Hmm. And, you know, and, uh, I think all, all entrepreneurs are looking for a magic pill, even if they, even if we know there is no magic pill, but, but you are working with so many top automation guys in the world and you know what's going on. So what, what will you say like uh, this year or last year, what was the new, new service, new product, new things that come up that can help entrepreneurs with like the last stuff that they, we should look at? It's funny. Um, I like to say that the secret is hard work. <laughs> Um, like the, the magic bullet is just hard work, right? The shortcut is, is hard work. Um, no, I, I mean, I think, I think being an entrepreneur is, is challenging and I think it will test you. Um, it'll test your, your creative abilities. It'll test your patience. It'll test your, um, your resilience. Right. And like that isn't for everyone, but there's a special type of you know, people that respond to that, that, you know, appreciate being challenged, who sort of rise to that occasion. 
And, you know, I've heard you in some of your other um, uh, shows uh, talk about like getting out of your own way and, and just taking action, right? Just doing your, getting, getting your first version out there, right? T- launching your course and, ex- and selling it before it is entirely done, right? And, and entrepreneurs are the type of people who take action, but we also tend to be perfectionists. And because we, you know, we want everything to be dialed in. We want to understand how it works. We care a lot about the experience we create for our customers. And so the advice I am continuing to take for myself and I would um, remind other people of as well is that done, you know, launched doesn't mean finished, right? Is like getting your first version out there of your course, of your business, of whatever the thing is, getting it out there, it isn't the finish line. It doesn't mean that you have set it in stone and that you can never improve it or never change it. Um, And this is something I tell people when they are designing automation as well, is like your first version probably won't be perfect, but it will be better than the inconsistencies that were happening when you were doing it manually. And once you get that first version live, then you start to automate things that buys your time back and you could spend that time making incremental improvements, refining it, um, optimizing it, right? But it's only once you launch. And so the advice I would have is is to launch. Whatever the thing is you're sitting on, you know, if you wait until it's perfect, you might never launch it. But if you launch it before you think you're ready, you will start learning from it. And the data that you collect will either confirm what you thought, like, hey, those things you wanted to add, go add them, right? People are asking for them, right? So it'll either confirm the things that you thought or it'll show you gaps that you didn't realize, right? But it's not until you start seeing customers flow through it or or watch your videos or experience your course or or land on your sales page it's not until you have real data there that you can kind of, that you can, can definitively say well here's our top priority right because otherwise it's just speculation and so yeah um I'll pause there but I think the advice would be to to launch before you think you're ready is to challenge yourself to to get it live so that you can start serving and so that you can start learning from it. And um, I need to follow up with a question about the customer journey because my, many is uh, coming to me if they want to launch an online course and they have right. 10, 10 IDs on 10 different online courses. Uh, yes. And of course, uh, we are on the same page there. So the first thing I'm saying, like, can't do that. But can you, can you explain from your side why is the customer journey more important than having different audiences for different courses? Um, well, I don't know that it's more important. Uh, I think, you know, building an audience that with whom your voice resonates is hyper valuable. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from that. But the experience people have when it comes to their interactions with your business, with your brand, with your products, is ultimately going to determine the success of of anything you set out to do, right? If they are having, if you're creating a negative experience across the board, your business isn't going to survive for very long before that consumes you. It'll eat up your time dealing with negative responses, processing refunds. It'll affect your reputation as you try to collect new leads, right? So having an experience that you're proud of, that is automated, that is producing raving fans is actually also a source of efficiency because it allows you to spend your time curating that audience. It allows you to, it creates testimonials and reviews, which makes your marketing that much more powerful. So I think the customer journey, you know, it's, it's the backbone of everything in your business because it defines the experience your customers have. Now you mentioned 10 different courses, right? Or, or having a bunch of different, you know, audiences or offerings. Um, in, in an ideal world, 
the customer journey would be a straight line, right? They start here and they end here, and this is what happens in between. But that's not how most businesses work, right? They, they could start here, they could start here, they could start there, and they can twist and, and weave, you know? And so the reality is like, they could have, you, your business could have multiple journeys, right? Especially if you have multiple products. And so that's okay. It just gets a little more complicated. And my advice would be to, you know, map each individual journey. If they come through this ad and they buy this course and they join this program, what does that journey look like? And then if they come through this one and they sign up here and then they join this, like, what does that look like? And the key isn't having necessarily a singular path, but just making sure that everything that they experience is something that you designed. Because what will happen is if you have these disjointed sections, it'll create gaps where leads fall between the cracks. If you've ever said that or heard that phrase, you know that's how it happens is people will design a webinar and they'll design a coaching program, but they, don't, they forget to bridge the gap between those components. And so that's where the long-term nurture acts as sort of a safety net that prevents anyone from disappearing. And so my, the reason I focus so heavily on journey is because it forces us to, to think through all of the variables and ask ourselves, well, what's going to happen if they do this? What's going to happen if they don't? And then we make a plan for it. Well, if they don't buy, how long do we follow up with them? And after six months, do we move them to this nurture process? Do we start a Facebook audience for people who haven't engaged? And then we start retargeting them. Like It gives you the opportunity to plan for all of those contingencies. Whereas I think too many marketers, I say marketers, but too many small business owners focus disproportionately on lead capture. I need more leads. And that's like, that's, I think that's valuable. But if you're putting those leads into a system that has holes in it, then you're not optimizing your ad spend because those customers will only convert at X percent. And so my recommendation is before you dial up your paid traffic or before you put time, and even if you're not doing paid traffic, before you put too much time and energy into your lead capture is to refine and optimize the experience they have once they are you know, engaging with your, your, your business, once they are in your your system once they've signed up for something or or you you know are communicating with them and then once you know the way that that system is performing you know 100% of people opt in 70% of people join this webinar 60% of people start the free trial 20% of those those people buy once you know those numbers that's where the predictability comes from cuz then you can say all right if i spend this much on new customers it's going to give us this many leads and you now have the information to forecast out, well, this many leads means this many customers because I have a system that creates predictable results. And of course, you can always try to you know, dial those numbers up and to make it convert a little bit better. But until you have that system built and defined, you're, 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 you're guessing to a certain extent. And that's where I think it stresses people out. Well, how much do I spend? Right? You know, it's tough to say if you don't know, if you don't know what those milestones are along their journey and and how to predict how far you know people will make it into that um, into that path. Or even, you know, I'm describing the purchase as sort of being the the final milestone, but the reality is it's it's oftentimes the middle because you might have a product progression path. And once they buy, you might know that, you know, 20% of them take the next one or join our private coaching or join our community, right? And, and that's where, you know, the customer lifetime value starts to multiply and the return on your ad spend starts to skyrocket because you've done the work of getting them into the system. 
building that relationship, making the offer at the right time, addressing their doubts. Actually, I should say you've done that. Automation has done that ideally. And then you get to you know, reap the benefits of, you know, of that relationship. When I look at my business and I think about the journey that way, I spend all of my time creating content at the very front end and serving members on the very back end. And the reason I, I mean, that's not necessarily desirable for everyone. Maybe you want to have sales calls at the moment they're making the purchase, but that's where I like to spend my time. And I think it's what I'm best at. And so I, you know, you, you meet Greg at the lead capture and then automated Greg fills the journey in between. And then you join the membership and you hang out with Greg again in the membership, right? And so it creates you know, this, this comprehensive flow from start to finish where, you know, I'm the common theme throughout this personality driven brand, but I'm really only spending time in these two buckets, lead generation and fulfillment for my members and automation is bridging the, the gap in between for me. Cool. I love it. So Thanks, man. Um... I haven't really <laughs> said that out loud. I haven't like described it that way, but that is the way my time is divided. Yeah. So how do you look at um, automation for the future? What do you think will change uh, the next two, three years? So which direction are we going with the marketing automation or business automation or, um, yeah, how will the, how will a business change the next two, three years when you look at automation? Oh man. Um, so I, uh, between, between, just between you and I and everyone watching, um, I'm sort of a technology laggard. Um, I'm oftentimes resistant to new technology. Uh, like I, you know, Clubhouse was really popular a couple of years ago and I like totally avoided it and it came and went and I didn't really like get on that train. Um, and that's sort of my attitude towards a lot of things. So I'm not exactly on the cutting edge, but I have a few predictions. Um, I'm seeing a lot more conditional automation, right? Where it's intelligently adapting the content based on the individual. So I'm talking about emails that go out to a bunch of people, but sections of the content are hidden or revealed based on who that person is, what links they've clicked in the past, whether or not they've purchased, right? Um, or images change based on what you know about them. So you might have slightly different call to actions in the email copy based on sections of your audience. So I think we'll see a lot more um, flexibility in terms of that, right? There was a time not too long ago where a follow-up sequence was this like brain bending concept and it was like a series of emails, right? But we're going to see that with a, a hyper degree of segmentation and specificity, which I think will do a lot in terms of addressing the concerns a lot of people have about automation. Some people think it's gonna feel that, that automation feels robotic, but it only feels robotic if it's done poorly. If it is done well, we don't notice as much. And so I think we'll see a lot more automation that doesn't feel like automation. Um, I also think we'll see automation, uh, you know, it, it has begun branching into other channels and, you know, we'll see a lot more of that. It's prevalence in, um, you know, what in WhatsApp or in text messaging or, uh, you know, across mediums that way. Uh, it, not that that hasn't been available, but I think it'll be more intentional. Instead of having these separate channels, they'll be used to create sort of like a multi-touch symphony, right? Where like all the pieces are working together because they're all, you know, designed together. And that I think will also parallel into the ad space. So you get the emails and text messages and, you know, messenger requests and, and then the ads are, are sort of designed to support or amplify the message that's happening there. But most of that is already available to a certain extent today. I just think it'll become a lot more commonplace. Uh, the biggest innovation that I have seen recently that I'm that I'm excited about is um, AI-driven copy generation. So like AI copywriting. And 
did you see the uh, the webinar I did with Keeps co-founder Scott the other week about um, the copyright the copywriting tool that they've developed? Um, no, I didn't see it, but I want to see it, but I have yeah. not. Didn't no see worries. It. Yeah, I I can get you the replay if you'd like. But the here's the punchline, right? So there are a bunch of you know AI. Uh, generators, uh, Jarvis and like, you know, technology that will produce copy, um, like just putting words together. But I, when I've played with them, it's been a little frustrating because it's just words and not necessarily strategic. And so what uh, Scott, uh, actually Scott, Scott Martineau is one of Keeps co-founders. He and his brother, Eric, have been working on this like little test project to take the power of AI copywriting and align it with like marketing best practices. And they've married the two. And so what it does is it allows you to say, hey, I, I'm gonna run a webinar. And it says, okay, if you're gonna run a webinar, you need copy for the sales page. You need copy for the invite email, the follow-up email, you need the reminder email before the webinar and you need the email after the webinar and you need a text message five minutes before the webinar starts. And so it asks you a series of questions. Who's your audience? What's the topic? What are their pain points? And it starts to like, if I write entrepreneurs who are afraid of technology, it will also start to suggest, well, what about entrepreneurs who you know, are overwhelmed with technology? What about uh, entrepreneurs who are afraid of failing? What about, you know, it'll start to like fill in some of those and you can say yes, yes, no, no. And so it learns as you engage with it and then it produces the copy to fill that list of assets. And the mind blowing part about this is the emails reference one another. So the copy that's produced is all part of this like cohesive set where email one references email two and email three references email one. And like, they're all somehow like speaking, like they follow up on each other. It's really impressive. Um, it's in beta right now. And so I've only played with it a little bit, but it, it changed the way I was thinking about AI because I, I like writing copy. That's, so that hasn't, hasn't been a hurdle for me. But I know that there are a lot of business owners who don't enjoy that. And so when it comes to like promoting something, they feel defeated right away because they have to, you know, as hard as it is to host a webinar, let alone you have to write the emails for it and plan the sales page or whatever, like all the other things you have to build. So I could see something like this making that process so much more accessible and more organized for so many people. And so right now, the way that it works is it spits out that copy and then you have to build the campaign and keep and copy and paste and put the stuff in. But in the long term, I think it could probably build the campaign for you, right? You answer the questions it takes the copy, it builds the campaign, it plugs them together. And I think that's where they're going with it. So like there will always be the opportunity for people who like architecting their own automation to do it themselves. But right now, if that's not your love language, that can be a barrier. And so I think there's a, a an opportunity in the not too distant future to make automation that much more accessible by letting AI match those components and produce that that content for people with minimal, you know, input or finessing. Cool. So thank you so much. This was a great hour to listen oh to. And also Has it been an hour already? <laughs> yeah, it's already an hour. All right. Uh, so. Um, um, so the last question I have for you, or I two more questions, but the last question is like, yeah, oh yeah, I three question. Why do you okay. call your, I, I love your company name. Why do you call it monkey pod? It's a little bit, I'm trying to help you get some clients now. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So monkey pod um, is a type of tree. Uh, they are uh, all over the Hawaiian islands. There actually might be some in Southeast Asia as well, 
but they have like a really big iconic canopy. Um, and there's a restaurant, well, there's a couple of them, but there's one in Maui called uh, the Monkey Pod Kitchen. And I named my business after this restaurant. Um, I won a trip uh, as an Infusionsoft employee. I was selected to go on a rewards trip to Hawaii. And I was there with my partner, Sarah, and a couple other people who had won this same trip. And a good friend of mine, he and I and our, our, our spouses were at this restaurant for like lunch or something. And it, it was just this unrivaled experience, incredible food, incredible drinks, you know, live music, the ambiance was terrific. We went, we were there for a week and we must've gone back four more times. We went for happy hour, we went for dinner, we went for dessert, like we just kept going back to this place, the Monkey Pop Kitchen. So um, a year later, when I was planning to leave Infusionsoft to start my business, I was talking to that same friend. His name is Justin. I was talking to Justin and I was describing what I wanted to do and how I had this entrepreneurial itch. And he said, Greg, I want to come with you. So I said, great, let's do it, man. Let's, let's, let's jump, right? Let's quit our jobs. We'll start this business together. Um, and so we named it Monkey Pod um, sort of as a tribute to that restaurant that we were still talking about a year later, just because it was that impactful for us. And because I think it's a fun, you know, term, it represents a uh, time and place that I, you know, reflect fondly on um, and people ask about it. But the funny, funny part of the story is that it didn't work out for Justin to join me. So we named the business together and then I quit and then he didn't end up leaving his job. So I was on my own, uh, but Monkey Pod remains the name and Justin and I are very good friends to this day. Uh, but it's funny that that was sort of, he was part of that initial story and then we almost immediately parted ways and you know wasn't able to stick the landing, so to speak. Cool. And um and the other question I have, is there anything I should ask you that you want to appeal to online entrepreneurs in Europe or um, something like you, you want to yeah, say to them? Just share your story. Um, my favorite thing about the small business community is that no matter how different we all are, no matter, you know, different parts of the world, different industries, different walks of life, just time and time again, I'm amazed by how much I can learn from stories from other entrepreneurs. The challenges are so similar. The struggles are oftentimes identical. And it's this, it's this, I don't know, um, bond. It's a common bond that I feel when you meet an entrepreneur, when you meet a small business owner, you just know that you're cut from the same cloth. And so I feel like the more we share those stories, the more it elevates everyone because we, you know, we all share one story, but we get back, you know, millions more that can that we can learn from and grow from or draw inspiration from. So, you know, don't underestimate the value in telling your own story. Cool. And uh, the last question: Where can uh, people contact you if they want to know more about MonkeyPod and you? Where where is the easiest way to reach? Thanks, you? man. Yeah. So I am active on all of the social channels. Uh, still still learning TikTok, um, but I am all over Facebook, all over Twitter. Um, at Monkey Pod Marketing uh, on Instagram as well. Uh, I am in the, the free, uh, awesome community. Uh, you can find me in there. Um, or, uh, you know, just drop me a message on, on Facebook. You know, if you see this or on YouTube, I'm, I'm there as well. Uh, I love talking about small business. I love talking about automation. Uh, if you are a Keep user, I would be happy to you know, support you however I can. 
uh, with your adoption of that platform, but also just say hi. If you found this conversation valuable, um, you know, that's validation for me and, and it's a testament to what I just said about the power of sharing your story. Thank you so much. There's so much value in this um, conversation we had, and uh, oh. I also want to listen to it again and again. So thank you so much, uh, Greg, for doing yeah. this for us. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Uh, I love watching you guys, what you're up to, and it is just, um, it's, it's been a bunch of fun to contribute. So thanks for including me. Mm -hmm.